with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass, when I bring the cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Let's pray and we'll get into the lesson. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we have. Lord, to be able to come together as the family of God and, Lord, to look into your word and to learn from it. Father, Lord, as we go through this simple study, God, Lord, of just looking at the book of Genesis. And now, Father, we've moved through the creation. And, Lord, we've moved through the flood. And now we're uh, looking at uh, the blessing that you gave to Noah and to all of the earth following the flood. Father, I pray as we look at this, uh, Lord, that we will uh, receive knowledge and understanding about your word, uh, Father, Lord, and that we will also, uh, Lord, that we will be challenged and encouraged to live for you, Father, I pray. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray that you bless in the service tonight, bless in the lesson, be with the team meetings, be with the uh, CG3 meeting, Lord, I pray that you be with all that's going on, God, Lord, that you might be glorified, and Father, will praise you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we take a few moments and look here at this blessing that God gave to Noah and to his family. The first thing that we see, the first part of this blessing is seen in verse 1 and verse number 7. It's interesting uh, to note uh, that this is the only part of the blessing that God says twice. So as we see that this part of the blessing, uh, God gives twice, and we see that it's a command to repopulate the earth. The first part of this blessing is a command to repopulate the earth. It says in Genesis 9, and verse number 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. And again, if you drop down to verse number 7, it says, And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, and bring forth abundantly of the earth, and multiply therein. Here in verse 1 and verse number 2, we uh, these two verses, we see that God confers to Noah and his family the same responsibility that he originally gave to Adam in the garden. In Genesis 1 and verse number 28, uh, God speaking here to Adam and Eve says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now that word replenish, which is used both in both places, uh, simply means to feel. So uh, some folks will take that word replenish and they'll try to say that there were people that lived before Adam and Eve because God told Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. Uh, but in both places that this word is used, the definition is to feel. Uh, so we see here that God told Adam and Eve to fill the earth. What I want you to do, I want you to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. This is what I want you to do. Well, after man had become wicked, man had sinned against God, man had rejected God, and for generations had turned his back on God, there came a point where God 
finish the earth. Once again, God said that he wanted the earth to be populated with mankind. We see that the earth had been purged of the wickedness of man. And once again, God said, now I want man to populate the earth. You say, well, I really don't understand that. How is it that God would destroy man and then say, now let's fill it up with men again? Well, we need to understand the mind of God. God created man because God desired to have a relationship with man. That's why he created man. It's why he wanted the earth filled with man, so that he could have a relationship with that earth full of mankind. But mankind rejected God. Mankind turned their back on God. Mankind said they wanted nothing to do with God. And man became extremely vile and wicked. The Bible says the last days here on earth will be as it was in the days of Noah. And we can look around at the wickedness that's going on in the world around us and maybe get an idea of the type of wickedness that was going on in that day. Possibly much worse than what we're seeing now because we're still here. So uh, possibly even much worse. God said the condition of man has become so wicked, he is never going to turn to me. He's never going to have a relationship with me. He's completely violating the reason he was created. Therefore, I'm going to have to send judgment. I'm going to have to send judgment. He sends judgment, but then he says, you know, and his sons fill the earth. Why? Because God wants relationship with man. He said, fill it up because I want a relationship with man. I want to be able to talk with man. I want to be able to, to, to fellowship with man. So fill the earth with mankind. And so we see that he bestows upon Noah and his family a repeat of the command that he originally gave to Adam in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. The second part of the blessing is the restoration to an elevated position. In Genesis 1.28, if we read the remainder of that verse, you will see that God gave dominion to Adam over the whole earth. That he had dominion. He was to subdue it. He had dominion over it. And here we see that that dominion is restated to Noah and his family here in Genesis 9 and verse number 2. God says to Noah, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. And so we see here that God had given to Adam dominion over all the animals, and he says here to Noah, uh, in your hand they are delivered. You have dominion over everything. Just as I gave to Adam, Noah, in a sense, was a second Adam, uh, in that he was once again restarting everything that God had created. And he said, I deliver them all in your hand. But if you'll notice, it seems there's a difference in the behavior of the animals. If you remember, when Adam had dominion over the animals, they lined up and walked past him like soldiers while he named all of them and looked to see if any of them would be suitable uh, to be his companion. And he couldn't find anybody that was suitable. And he gave all of them names. They all lined up and piled past. Whenever the ark, whenever God brought the animals to the ark. Now we know that that was a miracle with God and the hand of God and the testimony of God's power in bringing the animals to the ark. But the animals boarded the ark and went to their pens without any need for herding or corralling. They just came and went into the ark. Now we see, though, that in telling Noah and his sons that they have dominion over the animals, God says, and the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. So we find that in addition to man having dominion 
opinion that pretty much accepted is that prior to the flood, and we pretty much know this to be fact, that prior to the flood, man and beast were vegetarian. Man and beast ate the fruits, they ate vegetables, they ate the grass of the field. Man and beast were vegetarian before the flood. However, after the flood, meat was added to the diet of both man and beast. So now, man and beast, and we're going to look at that just a little bit more here in a minute about meat being added to man's diet. But meat was added to the diet of both man and beast. Well, in order to get meat, uh, somebody's got to die. That, that's how you get meat, is somebody has to die. And so with meat being added, um, and, and it, it, uh, it became necessary to take life. And there's eight people and 4,000 animals. Noah don't stand much of a chance here. He's fixing to be dinner. So, God put in animals a fear and a dread of man as a means of protecting Noah and his family. Another side of that could be, and we have seen this very truth uh, whenever we look at the animals that used to roam uh, even here in the Shenandoah Valley that are no longer here because of overhunting. I believe that this fear and dread also was a means of protection for the animals because if all the animals would have just stood there and we were hungry without any understanding of conservation and these things, it wouldn't have taken long to, uh, for a lot of different animals to become extinct pretty quickly. I mean, there was only two of each, seven of the clean ones. It wouldn't have taken long for uh, these varieties of animals to become extinct, but because they were scared of man, they ran, they hid, and it made it a lot more difficult for man to take their life, giving the animals the opportunity to reproduce before man took them down. And so I believe this may be why this was instituted. And like I said, the Bible doesn't tell us this is a speculation, but it seems to make good sense to me uh, that this is uh, something that enabled the animals uh, to reproduce and protected man. Before, before the flood, men were farmers. After the flood, men became hunters. They had to go pursue the game because the animals would run from man. So the fear of man, which God placed in animals, naturally protected man and naturally allowed the animals to reproduce and become established on the earth. Also, this fear produced a clear distinction between man and beast and their role on the earth. If you remember in Genesis 3, Man had dominion over the animals, but a serpent beguiled Eve. We see that there wasn't a clear distinction in man's role over the animals in that Eve subdued, was subdued by the serpent. Now, because of this fear and dread, there's a clear distinction between the position of man and beast. It's clear that man is in charge because beast runs when he sees man. So it plays a clear distinction between man and beast and their position on the earth. The third thing that we see in Noah's blessing, which we mentioned just a moment ago, found in verse number three, is an expanded provision. Now, I am sure that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate really well. I'm, I'm sure that the Lord took care of them, and I enjoy uh, uh, fruit myself. This Debbie and Brother C. Now, Miss Debbie, if people come asking you, I'm sorry, but they have been giving me some pears. I can tell you what, they are heavenly pears. Ah, they are 
steak or a pork chop or a slab of catfish or I, anything. I mean, I love it all. Well, I'll tell you what, I enjoy meat on my plate. Now, Brother Chris uh, Montgomery, uh, intern for us a couple summers back, he told me, he said, one thing about your people, they only have one thing on the menu, meat and potatoes. He said, it don't matter where I go, who I stay with, we eat meat and potatoes. He's like, that's all your people eat. He said, what, we like meat around here. Look at that meat on the plate. It's good eating. Uh, after he had went back home, we went to Tommy and Kelsey's wedding, and I sent a picture of the uh, of the table to him because what we had for the wedding, we had meat and potatoes. what we had for that wedding. I mean, that's, we like our meat and potatoes around here. Um, but I'm glad that God added meat to the menu. It says here in Genesis 9, verse number 3, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green earth have I given you all things. As I said a moment ago, before the flood, men were farmers. Now men are hunters. Their provision has been expanded. Before the flood, their diet consisted of fruit, vegetables, and bounty of the ground. Now their diet would be expanded to include meat. Now many people believe that the reason God made this change, and again, this is something the Bible doesn't tell us, so it's just something we speculate about, but why is it? If before the flood we were vegetarian, why is it that after the flood, meat was added to the menu? Many believe that because of the changes that took place in the environment, because of the flood, I mean, there was, uh, topsoil was washed away, there's big piles of sediment, uh, the ground was not in a prime condition for growing, Although we know that it did heal and was able to grow over time, and definitely, at least immediately, it was not. And even the, the fruits and vegetables that grow today, we know, do not compare to what was being grown in the Garden of Eden. There's just no way that it's of the same quality. And so many people feel that God added meat to man's diet to give us the extra sustenance that we would need, to give us the protein intake that we would need in order to survive in a deteriorated world. And so I believe that that's very possible, that that could be what had taken place. And whether or not that's the case, we don't know. But we do know for sure that here in Genesis chapter number 9, God added me to man's diet. Like I said a moment ago, now, now we do know that the Bible teaches moderation and restraint in regards to what and how much we eat. But there is nothing wrong with enjoying steak. I mean, they have nothing wrong with it, nothing wrong with enjoying your pork chop or whatever it is, nothing wrong with eating or eating potatoes. Why? Because God added meat to our diet, God. And now we can get into a lot more uh, looking at the laws of Moses. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, but that's a, another whole lesson about why different things were uh, God refrained from eating certain things in the law of Moses. Moses, but here in Genesis 9, he said, everything that liveth, you can eat it. Everything that's out there, you can have it for me. Later on, that was changed. Now, we see also, in addition to expanding provision, we see in verse 4 down through 6, we see that there was an established prohibition. An established prohibition. In allowing them to do things, there were also some things, some rules that God put in place. Some things that they could not do. In verse number 4, it says, but the flesh... With the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood and your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require, and at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be 
shed, the image of God made to man. Two things are established here in these verses. First, don't eat meat with the blood. And second, don't shed the blood of other humans. These two things are what God established here in these verses for Noah and his family. Now, there's, there's a, a distinction made here. First, animals may be taken from me. God said, I'm not sure animals may be taken from me. But they must be taken and prepared and consumed respectfully. This is not something that they're to be slaughtered and consumed ruthlessly. In cooking the meat, there had to be some time of preparation that showed respect to the animal and the life of the animal. Uh, secondly, we see that God addressed the sacredness of human life. God said, do not eat animals with the blood. You're not to shed the blood of a human at all. God established here that humans, uh, several things. He established that humans were not to be consumed as meat. He established that if you shed the blood of a human, life for life. God established this law, life for life. You don't shed the blood of a human. Uh, they are not to be harmed. And the punishment for taking the life of another is your own life. When we look at this passage and then we look at restrictions found in the law of Moses, we just spoke a moment ago, sometimes people ask, why did God say that you couldn't eat the meat with the blood? Now, as I said, it established a respect uh, for the life of the animal. But I believe that there's both some practical and spiritual answers to this question as well. Uh, some things we can consider is God cares for his people. And cooking meat protects us from a lot of diseases. Cooking meat protects us from a lot of things. Now, we're not going to get into all of this. The New Testament, we're no longer under the Old Testament law. And if you like your steak, have a little pink in the middle, you're not violating God's word to do that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. And we can get into a whole lesson explaining how that works. But in Christ, we're no longer under these Levitical laws like that. But, I, I said that so that I could use my illustration. We were uh, cooking, Melissa was cooking some pork chops the other day, and uh, Joel told her, he said, leave mine a little pink in the middle, Mom. And Melissa said, son, that's steak, not pork. We don't leave pork pink in the middle. And you, you're going to get sick for sure if you leave pork pink. He's like, oh, oh, I didn't know that. I thought that was all the same, you know. Uh, but, uh, sorry, Joel. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Cooking meat protects us from a lot of diseases, you know. There's a lot of things that it helps us. If we, if we cook that meat, it, you uh, just get rid of a lot of the things that may be in the blood. Uh, cooking meat separates humans from animals. I believe, again, this is a place where God has made a separation between man and beast. Beast just kills and ravenously devours. Man cooks. Man civilizes. They put some difference between man and beast. Uh, cooking meat requires that the harvest be intentional rather than as an animal would do it. Uh, if I've got to cook the meat, then I've got to be intentional about taking the animal, preparing the animal, bringing the animal home. Uh, so there's just some practical things. Spiritually speaking, uh, prohibiting the consumption of blood, I believe God was teaching respect for the sacredness of life as a whole. Throughout the word of God, blood is used as a symbol of life. The life is in the blood. So saying that they were not to eat the blood is showing the sacredness of life. This is life. You don't, you don't do that. Um, also, for the consumption of blood was likely, 
Matthew linked to the importance of blood in the animal sacrifice. The, the God had them to, in order to atone for their sin, they sacrificed an animal. The death of the animal didn't atone for their sin. The shedding of the animal's blood atoned for their sin. So blood was the atonement for their sins. If they were allowed to eat the blood, the blood lost its sacredness. The blood lost its, its meaning. It lost its importance. Uh, I remember when I was a kid and we would do the Lord's Supper uh, at the church where Dad pastored. He would buy the, the grape juice, you know, and we would pour the grape juice out and we'd have the Lord's Supper. And then after the Lord's Supper, I want to drink the rest of the grape juice. And he would never let me drink. Now, we drank grape juice at home, but he would never let me drink that grape juice that we bought for the Lord's Supper at the church because he didn't want it to take away from the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. Now, there was nothing sacred about the grape juice. He was just trying to keep the Lord's Supper from becoming common in a child's mind. And I think in the same way, the Lord here is keeping the sacrifices sacred. He's like, you can't eat the blood. That's for the sacrifice. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that specifically, but these are just some reasons that I believe why God may have said, don't eat the meat, the meat with the blood. He was preserving people's appreciation and respect for the sacrifices. He did not want the blood to become a common food. So then we see also an extensive proportion. An extensive proportion. We see that this blessing went beyond Noah and his family. This blessing wasn't just to Noah and his family, but this blessing that God gave affected all. It says there in verse 9, down to verse number 12, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of the beasts of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generation. We see here that this blessing was extended. And God extended this blessing to Noah and his family who was there, who was listening as he gave the blessing. We see that in verse number 9. We see in verse number 10, though, that this blessing was extended to every living creature. God said, I'll never curse the earth again. Noah, that means you and your family are protected. Cows, sheep, pigs, birds, that means you're protected too. This blessing is for the entire earth. This isn't just for Noah and his family. It is for every living creature. Then we see that it was extended in verse number 11 to all flesh. He said, there neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of the flood. Noah, you and your sons are going to eventually pass off. But your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, Noah, they're going to benefit from this promise. I'll never, ever again destroy the earth with a flood. This, this promise isn't just in your lifetime, Noah. This is going on. And we see that he drives that home with the phrase there in the end of, of verse number 12. He said, for perpetual generations. This, this promise is going to last forever. As long as the earth remains, as we see in chapter number 8, as long as the earth remains, summer winter, spring and summer, fall and winter, seeds and harvest, day and night shall not see. Perpetually, I am giving this promise to the entire earth. And then 
this blessing, this promise came. This blessing came with an evident promise. This promise was made evident. He gave a physical symbol that would drive this home. It says in verse number 12, when God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. This is the token. What is the token? Verse number 13, I do set my bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it. That I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Here we see that God gave a physical, visible symbol of his promise in the rainbow. And you know, I find it interesting that God used rain to destroy the earth. He said, I promise I'll never destroy the earth with rain again. He said, I'm going to give you a symbol that promises I'll never do it again in the rainbow. And we see the rainbow when it rains. I know there's got to be a sermon in here. I just haven't got it put together yet. But you know what? A lot of times we liken rain to trials. And in the rain, we see the rainbow that says this rain is not going to destroy you. There's got to be a sermon there that this trial, I promise, it's not going to be the end of you. That, that sermon's got to be in there somewhere, so I'm going to preach that one of these days. But we see that God said, I'm putting a boat. And this boat promises that never, ever again will I destroy the earth. Never again will I do it. You look on it and you remember my promise. Now, there's something else about a rainbow here that, that just really, I, I just love this and, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. It says in verse number 14, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth. That the bow shall be seen in the cloud. That it means that I will be able to see the rainbow. You will be able to see the rainbow. And all of us have seen rainbows. We are able to see the rainbow. But now look in verse number 16. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it. Now, maybe this don't do enough for you, but this just excites me. Because this means that every time there's a rainbow, God is looking at the rainbow. And so whenever I look at a rainbow, you know who's on the other side looking back at me? I don't know. It just gives me chills to think about. Now, I know that the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place to hold me evil to good. I know that the Lord is watching over me at all times. I know the Bible says, Lord, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I know that and I understand that. But there's just something about knowing. When I'm looking at the rainbow, he's looking at me. Have you ever, maybe when you're a kid, made the realization that grandma can see the same moon that you're looking at, and all of a sudden you just feel a connection to grandma because, you mean mommy, you mean grandma can see that moon too? And grandma, who you thought was so far away, now feels a whole lot closer. I don't know, I guess I still got a little kid in me. I still feel that when I look at the rainbow. <laughs> I'm looking at the rainbow, and he's looking at the rainbow. I, it, just, it, just, it just gives me chills. Hopefully next time you look at the rainbow, you'll remember that. We see that God gave us a constant reminder of his promise. 
He gave to Noah this promise, and he gave it to all future generations. The first time it rained after the earth was destroyed, the every time it's rained since then, there's a rainbow that says, I'll never again destroy the earth. Now the world has tried to take the rainbow. They tried to corrupt it. They tried to redefine it. They tried to give it a, an evil and a vile meaning. But you and I know that the rainbow was given to us by God. We know that the rainbow is a promise that God made to us. It's a, it's a symbol of his promise and we can rejoice in it. I love what the Ark Encounter did. And I've got a picture of it here. They said we're taking the rainbow back. They took and lit that ark up in rainbow colors. And they said the world might try to take it. The world might try to claim it. But if you drive by the ark encounter at night, it's lit up like a rainbow. They said God gave it to us and we're taking it back. You know what? It is a symbol. It is a promise that God made to you and I. And I just thank the Lord uh, that he gave us a promise that we claim. We never have to fear, never have to be afraid. It's called God's promise. That until the end of time, he will keep this blessing. 